You can stay in Ephesians for a minute or two. And uh, that's page 1160 in the Pew Bible. And if you want to look up uh, 2 Corinthians 5, that's 1148, page 1148 and 1160. So 12 pages apart. I'm going to talk to you today about the word reconciliation. It's a wonderful word. If you've ever been reconciled and you had to give me a definition, um, let me give you a story here at the beginning. Frederick Lonsdale was a British playwright in the early to mid-1900s. And uh, all in that uh, writing plays and um, films uh, gathered together on New Year's Eve. And there was an enemy of Lonsdale there who they had quarreled and could not get along. And so Lonsdale's friend in this uh, elite group of uh, British playwrights told him, hey, it's, it's New Year's Eve, just go wish, uh, wish your, uh, the man that you have quarreled with, wish him a happy New Year. So Lonsdale probably thought about it and went over to his enemy and said this, I wish you a happy New Year, but only one. You wouldn't say, after hearing that short conversation, that reconciliation was, uh, was, was uh, happened there. This isn't reconciliation. It sounded like a little bit of vengeance. <laughs> reconciliation, if you were to look up a definition, might be uh, a bank, banking term, or an accounting term, but that's not what we're talking about here. And a simple definition would be defined as Restoration of friendly relations. Someone that you're not, you know things aren't right with you and them. And if you were reconciled with them, you would say you are, have restored friendly relations. Reconciliation is expected of all Christians to each other. But this passage is going to talk a little bit about that, but mainly about us being reconciled to God. The love of Christ does control us. Last week we looked at how it controls our mind, and this week we're going to look at how the love of Christ controls what we see. We can look at people as enemies and not be reconciled to them because we think they're our enemy. Why should I be reconciled? I just have to avoid them. But the love of Christ needs to control how we see people in particular. And we read Ephesians chapter 3. And before we go into, in in Ephesians, uh, the book, he turns the corner from um, what to do with God and his word and the love of Christ and how do we live this out. And Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 talks about walking in unity and walking in love and walking in uh, wisdom and how to interact with people um, in our church and in, in a family. And there's a lot of very practical wisdom. But all of that wisdom of how to walk and how to live is based on whether or not Christians, in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, understand and are growing rooted and grounded in love. Verse 18 says of Ephesians 3, may have, so Paul's praying for them, that they would, that God would grant them 
to um, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ in this way fully that surpasses knowledge. It's going to blow your mind how much Christ loves you, how much he loves me. And that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he closes this prayer in the middle of the book with, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now, Ephesians is written after 2 Corinthians. But what we hear here in Ephesians is that Christians are supposed to understand the length and the breadth and the height of the love of Christ. And everything that comes after in the book is going to assume that Christians are controlled by the love of Christ. And that control sounds like verses 20 and 21, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Why are we convinced that God can do working in us that we would understand the love of Christ and be filled with the love of Christ or the fullness of God there in verse 19? How, do we, how are we assured of that? Because God is, is according to the power at work in us. How great is God's power? Oh, okay. If you put it that way and think about how great God's power is, and it like a laser that can powerfully reach is God's love that powerfully controls us. Okay, now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we'll spend the rest of our time here. Christ's love controls our sight. Last week we saw the Christ's love controlling our mind and how we think. And if God controls our minds, our minds control our sight, what we see. The older I get, the more I'm finding that my arms need to get a little longer so that I can see. As people hold things close. That's blurry. <laughs> okay, i got to get it. And all, all of you that you've reached that point and have passed that point in life, you're all smiling at me, okay? As you knew, like, okay, our pastor looks really young, but his eyes, the rest of his body, is, that doesn't feel young, okay? And my eyes aren't young anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to need uh, glasses soon, probably, uh, to help me see the small writing on, in my Bible. But the mind controls the eyes, what we see. And we are all meaning makers, or we're all constantly interpreting what we see. We can look at two people not getting along, or two brothers, or two sisters, or siblings, or parents and children, and for 20 or 30 or 40 years, they have not talked to each other and say, you know what, that is not the way to live. There is a better way to live, to be reconciled, to be back on friendly relations. You don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to bring up everything bad that happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. But you can live in harmony uh, because the Bible says that only by pride comes contention. So you find the pride, you repent of the pride and of the sin, 
and you can be uh, restored in your relationship and reconciled. Well, we can see that, but whenever we're in that kind of relationship, we often assume, well, it's their fault. They're the reason we're not reconciled. Listen to yourself talk, and your godly friend will say, your language sounds like pride. You are adding to the contention. You're not making it easy for this person to come talk to you because you're so proud. I'm right. They're wrong. They've got to come talk to me. It's their problem. Okay, if someone's not reconciled to you, it's your problem too. Why? Because even if someone has something against you, Jesus taught us, we have to go and try to do our best to pursue peace and be reconciled. Why? Why is reconciliation expected of believers? And some people, some Christians have, have said and, and think that I can understand the world I can't be reconciled to people in the world, but I don't understand how there is no way that we should not be able to get along as Christians. And that's exactly right. And we'll find out why we think that way as Christians and how we need to view other people from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19. Now, you probably know or you've heard of verse 17. So we'll start with verse 17. But context in interpretation is everything. You can't rip a verse out of context and say, this is what I want it to mean. Okay? In the context, we'll see what uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, the best interpretation of it, because context helps us. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you may tell a new believer... Hey, you need to, old things have passed away, everything is new. You need to grow as a Christian because you're new in Christ. Okay? That's not the best use of this verse, to use it to help someone grow. Or not someone else grow. This verse, I think, in context, we'll see, is to help the person reading to grow. Verse 16. So, to, to catch us up on the context of this passage, we are to uh, please Christ, please God. We make it our aim, verse 9. Everything about our lives is to please God. This is our goal. This is the direction we're going. We're in a path that leads to light, life. And if you don't have pleasing Him as your goal, then you need to realize verse 10. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to receive either good or evil. Uh, based on whether or not you're doing the right things for the right reason, to please Christ, motivated by Him. And if you're not, you're doing it for selfish reasons, or you're doing the wrong thing, it's evil. So knowing the fear of the Lord. So the fear is a motivator, like the sheepdog that we talked last week. Sheepdog can control sheep, but only by fear. And the shepherd controls the sheepdog in a different way. The shepherd controls the sheepdog by his voice. Go, come, sit, left, right. And the shepherd can control a well-trained sheepdog just by his voice. This is how our God controls us, by his voice. How do we know God's voice? It's written. It's written. We can be controlled by these words in this book. And in particular, what about these words wants us to listen to God? 
wants us to do what pleases God and not what pleases ourselves. Here it is. It's the love of Christ. It's that simple. We sing about it. We love to think about it. And Christ's love controls how we think that if Christ died for all, then have all died. We saw last week. In verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. Right, of course we're not going to live for ourselves. Why not? Two reasons why not. Because we're going to stand before the judgment seat as Christians. Or, if that doesn't motivate you enough, the love of Christ does. So the, the fear motivator is there, but the love of Christ is, better, is a better control. So, the love of Christ controlling our thoughts, thinking this way, verses 14 and 15. Now, verse 16, the love of Christ controlling how we regard. You'll see the word regard three times. The first word is actually the word recognize in the Greek, so we won't recognize someone. The other two is to rec- uh, regard or to, um, to, kn- to know someone uh, by seeing them. So, uh, verse uh, slightly different. Um, and so we'll look at those in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we recognize no one according to the flesh. What does this mean? I wrestled with verse 16. 17, 18, 19, a little bit easier, but 16 is, is a challenge. Okay, let me catch up to my notes. We need this passage. God's word helps us in this passage to see people how God intended us to see them. We may look at people and assume they are mean, they are hurtful, they are to be avoided. And a lot of non-reconciling thoughts and actions stem from that thought. I do not want to be reconciled to them because they are a mean, hurtful, lying, whatever it is that you say, there's got to be some distance here. And surely there are people like that in the world. After they make foolish decision after foolish decision after foolish decision, we'd say they're a fool because that's what Proverbs calls them as they are. What does a fool do? They make foolish decisions. They don't learn from their mistakes. They don't learn from other people's mistakes. They don't learn from God's wisdom. And Christians, though, are in a different category because we need to look at people, and there are those who hold to CRT or social justice and think that we need to look at the world as oppressors and oppressed. Those are two categories of people. And when I taught this last fall, I said, no, that's not how God's word wants us to see people. And this passage informs us as well. We need to see people in these different categories. And here are the categories, in Christ and not in Christ. And the in Christ people are followers of Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5.16, from now on, therefore, we regard or we recognize... No one according to the flesh. If you ever look at old pictures, and there are some people that have changed so much, it's hard to recognize them. Especially kids to teenagers or adults, and I look at some of the pictures of some of, and we've been here 11 years, and some of the pictures that I have of my children with children at church, I'm like, who is that? Who is with my kids? And, oh, they're still coming to church. (laughs) I didn't recognize them because they don't look like they did when they were two or three or five. And if you have either probably gained a lot of weight or lost a lot of weight, and there are TV shows, and I like The the Biggest Loser and other shows, that if you're going to um, 
to win in some of these competitions, you have to look completely different if you're in a weight loss competition. You have to look like less than half of the size that you started. And you say, well, that doesn't even look like the same person. It's only been a year. So sometimes we don't recognize people. Sometimes people get sick. And we go visit them in the hospital or at their home. And the sickness has really uh, taken a toll on their body. And they look a lot older. Or they look a lot different. And we don't want to tell them. I wouldn't even recognize them. And we try to comfort them. And say, it's not a big deal. You know what? This body, as Christians, we know from <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4, that this body is temporary. We don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. The inner self is being renewed. So how is the inner self being renewed? It's being renewed by the love of Christ. It's controlling our minds, and here it's controlling how we view people, Christians in particular, verse 16, that we don't recognize anyone as believers according to the flesh. So, what does that mean? All right, well, I do have a note for it. When we look at people, Christians, what are we looking for? When you are looking to be a friend to someone, what are you looking for? Someone who is trustworthy, honest, kind, loving, patient, caring, compassionate, loyal, all these things that we love about uh, the friends that we would say are good, good friends to us. But if someone is, has said something unloving to you or posted something unloving about you or about your position or your opinion, and we're in a very politically charged time in history, that if someone has a different political view than you, it can be caused for irreconcilable differences, as some that want a divorce would claim. As Christians, we can't claim irreconcilable differences with other believers because the love of Christ is controlling all of us. And it controls how we think, but it also controls how we view other people, and we don't recognize someone according to the flesh, or just what we can see or just what we can experience as we gather with them, and they are obnoxious. They sit behind you in church, and they are off-key. They tell the lamest jokes, or they don't laugh at your jokes, or they talk incessantly about themselves, and you're just like looking for someone to go else talk to. Like, come on, someone rescue me. And they're like... They're giving me an earful, and I couldn't care less about what they're telling me and all their problems. And in ministry, this happens. Like, what do you do when you're stuck talking to the people that you don't want to talk to? Or you're on the phone. Now, if you're on the phone, it's a little easier because they can't see your body language, and you can be searching the Internet. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're looking at something totally, you know, and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and try to act like you're engaged, but you, you couldn't care less. We don't regard, we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. What was the problem with the Corinthians and is the problem with all of us living in these fleshly bodies is flesh gets in the way of how we see other people. 
Galatians has already told us, now this is written after Galatians, but to walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. Don't give in to our flesh. To listen to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to remind us of the love of Christ and to be reconciled with each other and how to view one another and don't view someone according to the flesh. You say, how is this possible? It's only possible if the Holy Spirit's controlling you and the love of Christ is controlling you. So if you're focused on the love of Christ, you just want to please God. And it's easy in the privacy of your home at times to just be without anyone around you to please God. Yes, the judgment seat motivates me. Yes, the love of Christ motivates me. I think about the cross and I'm so thankful that I've been forgiven there. And then I have to go to church. And then there's those hateful, hurtful, opinionated, bigoted people there. And they're hypocrites. Really? That's how you view them. That's not how God views them. And that's not how spirit-controlled, love of Christ-controlled people view them either. How do we view people? Not according to the flesh. When you look for sin in a sinner, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see sin. You're looking for the wrong thing, though. Because the love of Christ doesn't control our eyes to see sin and nitpick about everybody else's sin as we see them. Oh, we're so good at, <laughs> at seeing other people's faults and their sin, but according to this passage, the love of Christ controlling us, and we're not living for ourselves anymore. We gather as God's people, therefore, we don't regard someone according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ, according to this is a different word now, regarded Christ, which we could see Christ in person on the earth, we could know Christ by what we could observe of him because he walked among some of the people that maybe Paul is writing to. They could remember what it was like when Christ was on earth, written about 20 years after Christ goes back to heaven. But although we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I think this is the part of the reason that Paul brings us out is if, if we are in Christ spiritually in this sphere and he is, he is in, a, in the flesh, that's a really weird analogy, a really weird picture. Like, how am I going to go crawl inside of someone's body? That's weird. Right? But that's, that's how God tells us to think of ourselves in a secure way in Christ. We don't regard, we don't look for sin in people. Galatians 5, I referred to it, don't use your freedom as to indulge your flesh. Don't think that I can think however I want because I am I'm so spiritual and I am so much I'm so so much better than everyone around me. In a church gathering, as people get to know you, they'll realize, hey, you're a sinner just like me. And if you talk to me long enough, I'll say something sinful to you. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. But I don't want you to think. There's that pastor. He's a sinner. Really? I'll tell you I'm a sinner. Okay? So if you don't look for it, you can. And you're going to have a hard time listening to me preach week in and week out if you think, there's that pastor. He's a sinner. And I'll tell you I'm a sinner. 
And my wife and kids have to listen to me. And they see my sin, even out there every day. But we don't see people like just in the flesh, like what we can observe and hear. That's a good climax. I'll tell you when to hit it again. All right. We see people in Christ. How are we supposed to see them in Christ? Well, we don't see Christ in the flesh anymore because he's back in heaven. So we don't regard Christ in the flesh, but we do live among Christians who are sinners and they're living in the flesh and they're trying to obey God and they're trying to make it their aim to please him and they're trying to be motivated by the love of the fear of judgment seat and they're trying to be motivated by the love of Christ and they're trying to not live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here we are as Christians and in a church and we're trying to please Christ and we don't all the time. And it's really discouraging when you don't and you feel bad about it and then everybody else makes you feel bad about it too. No, this isn't how we're supposed to see people. We're supposed to see people as God intended us to see them. And here's how he intended us to see them. As we see Christ, but we don't see him in the flesh. But we know. How do we know other Christians are in Christ? Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, these are all Christians, as soon as you trust Christ as your Savior, you turn from your sin, and you trust Christ's death and resurrection. Complete, there's your full trust. Then you're in Christ. And if anyone, it doesn't say mature believers, it says anyone who is in Christ, how are we to view them? He is a new creation. A new creation? This is how we're supposed to view people? Yes. 517 is not about just helping people to put off old things and put on new. There's other passages that talk about it, like Ephesians 4. This passage is about how we view other people. And here's how we're supposed to view other people. They're in Christ. We aren't to look for sin. Now, there is a time whenever you have a close friend as a Christian and they are lying. Or they are railing on their wife. Or they are harsh to their kids at church. And you have to say, hey, can I talk to you about something? What you just said or how you just said it wasn't pleasing to God. How do we know? Because we have very clear scripture that they have violated. They lied. They were angry. They, whatever we can see. They clearly, they clearly sinned. They clearly disobeyed God. It wasn't pleasing to God. And you're looking for a response of humility and repentance. And usually as Christians, this is the response that you'll get. I didn't realize this was sinful. I realize it now. God, please forgive me. Privately, they get right with God. If they hurt anybody publicly um, or need to go make things right, they go apologize and confess their sin to someone that they sinned against. But then the sin's taken care of. And the sin is what happens to that person's sin. No matter how public or how many people heard it, what happens to that sin if they've confessed it? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we are responsible to treat other people as God treats us. And as God 
forgives us and takes away all of our sin as far as the east is from the west or into the depths of the ocean, the Bible says, never to be remembered again. This is how we have to view people that sin against us. And we can't look at them this way any longer. There's that sinner. There's that hurtful, mean, angry, lying, bitter, wrathful, whatever it is, sinner. And if you live with other Christians, what causes you to not be reconciled is that you're constantly looking for the other person. You're just waiting, waiting for them to sin again. Oh, and when they sin again, boom, drop the hammer. Give it to them. They sinned again. I knew it. Really? This is how you want to live. It makes for a horrible marriage. Horrible marriage. Horrible parent-child relationship. Horrible sibling-to-sibling relationship. Horrible church relationships. Because we're looking for the wrong things in believers, those who are in Christ. How are we to view them? Verse 17, therefore, based on what we learn from verse 16, which there's a therefore there, which ties us back to the love of Christ controlling us, and we're not living for ourselves any longer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, if, if, if as a parent, you're expecting your three-year-old to act like a 23-year-old, you're going to be disappointed every day. Why? Because you're looking for the wrong things. You're looking for maturity where it's not there. What you need to be looking for in a three-year-old is growth and learning. And as believers, well, we might have 23-year-old believers here, 23-year-olds in Christ. And we've got three-month-olds here. And we don't expect the same thing out of three-month-old believers as we do out of 23-year-old believers. But the 23-year-old believers can look down their long nose and say, that shouldn't be happening there. You shouldn't be sinning that much. You're a sinner. We, we expect a higher standard here. We're a holy church here. <laughs> and that's hurtful. And that's actually proud, ungodly way. And the love of Christ is not controlling that 23-year-old person in Christ's mind to think that way or their sight to see people that way. That's the flesh controlling them. That has to be repented. And I don't know how you see people, but if you have a hard time getting along with other Christians, it might be that you're seeing them incorrectly. Because you're looking for sin. And when you see sin, bam, you're on it. Like a hound dog to a coon up a tree. You're like, oh, wrong. You're looking for the wrong things. We don't see people for their sin. Why? Because we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't recognize them. They are a new creation. And if some little baby is born, we don't say, there is that slobbering, lack of self-controlled, stinky diaper baby in our house. Ugh. We don't think that way toward children. Why? Because they're immature. We're looking for them to grow. We're so excited when they say, Dada or Mama. And we, oh, yes. And when I think of my kids, I don't think of all the messes that they made. And I told you one story about them scratching. I don't even remember who it was. 
And I, I don't, we don't want to look at other people and just see their sin, their immaturity. No, we want to see them in Christ. And if they're not in Christ, we'll find out what we should do in verses 18 and 19. So verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We're looking for new creations. This word new in the Greek is a new kind of something. Like when the smartphone came out, it was a new kind of phone. There was a flip phone. You couldn't get on the Internet. Or when cell phones came out, it was a new kind of phone. You could walk around, you could be on the phone, and many of us remember when we didn't have cell phones. And the freedom we have now, and we're like, man, I love my phone. Look up stuff everywhere as long as we have reception, right? We don't, we do look to see a new kind of life. Now imagine what church was like. Imagine what a family's like. When Christians gather together and they are encouraging growth in the new believers the new babies. And they're not saying, oh, you guys stink. Your attitude stinks. You gotta take a, change your diaper, <laughs> like, so to speak. No. We're not looking for just cleaning up messes. And the more children's ministry we have, if you're here on Wednesday night, or you, you should come and see after a fellowship lunch, where you can tell where the kids have sat. Because there is a massive ring of crumbs. It doesn't matter what it is. They find out ways to make crumbs. And we have to vacuum. Oh, here we are to vacuum after these kids. They're, they're new. They're learning. Now, if you as adults have a massive ring of crumbs, now we'll talk to you. Hey, okay, I need some manners. Do <laughs> with your mouth closed. <laughs> Other things that we could teach you. But we don't look at people to look for their sin. We're looking to see a new kind of life. And when you're looking for a new life and you're happy for new life and you're thankful that God is rescuing people and you're looking for growth from these old things in their life are passing away and the new has come, it's exciting. Verse 18, all this is from God. God is helping us to see people as he intended them to be. Who through Christ? Now here's what God is doing. Here's his mission Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Whoa, God reconciled us to himself and we're going to learn in the next book written, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you'll see the word reconciled in Colossians 1 and other places in, in, um, in Romans 5 earlier or just after that we are um, of, of Christ's love demonstrated, you'll see the word reconciling. It's not a very common word in the New Testament, but we have this word reconciled here over and over again. What does it mean? We were not on friendly terms with God. Why? Because he was angry with us, with our sin, and we were under his wrath. And if we look at our side of the equation, we didn't want God. We didn't want God coming into our lives, telling us what to do, and controlling us. Oh, no, we wanted to control our own lives. We'll, we'll ask God if we're in a foxhole or we have a lot of trouble, then we'll cry out to God and demand that he help us. But we don't want him controlling us. And when we realize that we are sinners and we have nothing good to offer God, and if he doesn't rescue us, we are going to be condemned to hell for all eternity. 
okay, I need help. And then we cry out to God. We realize what God did to, to save us, to reconcile us to him. And God hasn't moved in this whole equation. He's always holy. He's always just. He's always loving and gracious. And we have gotten farther, farther and farther away from God as a culture. We'll see that in Romans 1. But here, all this of how we view people is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. If you read, and we're going to look at the end of the book of Lamentations, and we'll look at the end of the Old Testament. If you read the end of the book of Lamentations and the end of the Old Testament, you're left with, oh, there's got to be more. This is really, really discouraging truth from God. There's got to be more. And you know what? The Bible doesn't end with the Old Testament. The last word is curse. It doesn't end with a curse. And we'll look this Wednesday at the end of the New Testament. It ends with grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Christ. God never intends us to live without him. And many people try. Most people try. The broad way always leads to death. And the narrow way there are Christians trying to live for Christ, trying to look at each other in a way that's new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is, how are we to view other people? If they are in Christ, we see them as a new creation. If they're not in Christ yet, we see them as a ministry where they have to be reconciled to God. So here are people away from God, living in sin, and they are confused. They don't even know why they're sinning against God. Why they hate God? Why did their parents hate God? Why did their grandparents hate God? Why was hatred of God inbred in their lives? So that they wake up every morning hating God. And maybe you grew up in a home like that. Where you are expected to hate God. You're expected to use your mind and all of your studies to, to figure out how to debunk the Bible how to find out why Jesus wasn't who he says he was. And why this is just a make-believe story written by one really smart guy or a bunch of people and just thrown together and has no bearing on our lives. And there are all kinds of lies that people believe. But when someone turns to the Lord, we have seen this in 2 Corinthians 3, the veil is taken away. They can see God. They can see His glory. As you see God in His glory, you're changed by that glory. And that glory motivates you to live for God and not look and hold tightly to this body and help this body. No, this body is just temporary. And it helps us to minister to other people and please God with our lives. And it helps us to view Christians, but it also helps us to view those who are outside of the body of Christ right now. And they're lost, and they're blind, and they're naked. And Christ paints this picture for us as he's here. And in Revelation, he paints the same, very similar picture of life without Christ is confusing. It's hard. It's hopeless. And we are the only ones on the earth that have this ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. 
We are standing between, as Aaron did, the living and the dead. And it's fun and it's comfortable to come to church and love to be around Christians and love to sing songs and love to study the Bible and love to pray and go out and we avoid those who hate us. We avoid those who we don't want to talk to and are uncomfortable because they are going to, they have been taught all these things about how to challenge us and, and we don't want to be their friends. It's, it's so much more comfortable to just stay in, in our homes and not talk to people outside. Stay in our church. Stay in our cubicle. But when we see Christ, we see people in Christ, but when we see people out of Christ, all this, this ministry, is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And it, the verse doesn't stop there in verse 18. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. That word there, gave us, is also the, can be translated, places us. He places us in this ministry of reconciliation. So, we are in Christ, we're secure, but he's God in his wisdom. Says, I want you to go reach out to those who aren't yet in Christ and help them to be reconciled to me. You know, in, in Christ, in the fullness of God and everything that we enjoy, it's such a small taste of heaven. Because it says, I think in uh, Psalm 16, in God's presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we can have the best devotional time in our lives where we're encouraged and having the, we feel like God is so close and the presence of God is there and we leave so joyful. And we've got to go talk to someone who is miserable. They're angry, they're vengeful, they're lying, they're manipulative. They're whatever it is. They're confused. They might even be curious. We go to them. Let's look at what verse 18 continues to say. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Helping people to be on friendly terms with God. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So here is how the love of Christ is controlling us. The love of Christ caused him to come because he loved the Father and only did what pleased the Father. And Christ comes and willingly sets his face to go toward Jerusalem. And as he goes toward Jerusalem, no one's talking. His disciples aren't talking him out of going to the cross. And he's going there to die for us. What is motivating Christ to go there? To please the Father. To do what he came to do. To show the world, God is a loving God. And the world says, we don't think God's a loving God. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Keep looking at the cross. This is how we see people. They're away from God. They need to come to God. The only path to God is Jesus and his cross. We believe in the power of the gospel. If you came here today to be entertained, you're probably disappointed because there are many other churches you can go to to be entertained. We don't think that you need to be entertained. Church isn't about us. We believe in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation. It's how 
We once were dead, and many of you were saved as adults. You remember what it was like to live over here. You remember how God humbled you over time, probably, to get you to be his child, reconciled to him. And someone in love reached out to you, motivated by the love of Christ. And they, in verse 19, Christ was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, giving to us, again, the message of reconciliation. I'll give you the notes so we have to end, and I'll, I'll pick up here next week. If we're in Christ, God opens our eyes to see we have a mission. Join him on his mission. We don't look at Christians and see they're sinners. No, because then we're going to fight and argue, and we're going to think, oh, church is just a bunch full of hypocrites, and I don't need to be part of that. Or I'm just going to guard myself from all these hurtful people here. No, that's not how God wants us to see Christians. And as we're getting along friendly with Christians, we're reaching out our hand to those who aren't yet in Christ. And joining God and embracing the mission that he puts us on. This isn't just for those in ministry. This is for every, everyone who's in Christ. God is reconciling sinners to himself. In verse 19, God is giving us this message. I'll share this story with you next week. God, help, my, help me to see believers as you want me to see them. A new creation in Christ. And then help me to see my part in your reconciling plan. You can meditate on verses 18 and 19 this week. You can add 20 and 21. So look at these four verses ahead of time. You'll be ready to worship. God give you, God will give you the message. Here's the message. Come to the forgiving God. There's no other gods. There's only one. He's a forgiving God. Come to him through Jesus. Come to him. Put your fist down. Don't hold your fist up to God any longer. The only one who can help you in your pain and misery and confusion and frustration and your sin is the one that you're holding up your fist in his face. Put your fist down. And you can tell them, I once had my fist up too. And it's the love of Christ that caused me to put my fist down. The love of Christ needs to control us. It is a controlling, and it is our message to the world. And lest we forget the love of Christ, Christ tells us to remember his cross. Every four weeks, remember the cross of Christ, and the cross of Christ magnifies the love of Christ. It is hard to forget something that you try to remember every four weeks and try to focus everyone here as a body on one thing. We are focused on the love of Christ. We cannot forget the love of Christ. Our God loves us. He reached out to us. He rescued us. And we have this ministry. So this love of Christ motivates us.